Well, welcome, everyone. I'm uh, Tony Smaniato, the uh, chapter uh, outgoing president or chairman, as we like to call it. And I'm thrilled to uh, be here in front of you, and I'm really excited about this program um, and what the programs committee has been doing here the last few months, and we're going to be doing some even more exciting things uh, in the next few. Uh, before I forget, I want to thank Emma Cox and Scott Phillips, especially from McDonald's. Thank you so much. Uh, am I missing anyone on your team, Emma, that's helped us out? Um, it's really been uh, great uh, to have you all here. So I'd like to uh, introduce uh, John Ziedler, who's on our uh, programs committee, and he'll kick things off. Jonathan? And while he's coming up, I want to thank all of our sponsors of the chapter. I appreciate all you do. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. Great turnout today. Thank you for joining us. I'm sure everyone's excited to to hear the story of how McDonald's decided on Chicago's Golden Market. I know I'm excited. Uh, for those of you interested in sticking around for a tour, uh, just hang hang out afterwards. We're gonna split up into groups and and uh, get you through and see the facility. Um, we're excited to have our speakers today. We've got Scott Phillips, the Director of Corporate Real Estate for McDonald's. Uh, Tish Cruz, Principal and Senior Director of Strategy with IA. and Kara Rooney Fields, also with IA. Uh, speakers, please join us. Thanks for the introduction, Jonathan. Thanks for uh, thanks to Cornet uh, for. Uh, uh, the invitation for us to be able to, to host the group. And so, uh, first of all, if this, if this is the first time that you've been in our new headquarters, welcome. Uh, we're excited to have you here. Uh, and we're also excited to be able to tell uh, the McDonald's story. And uh, one of the uh, the great opportunities I have is being able to go out and, uh, and, and tell the story and, and talk about uh, the fact that this was not a, a corporate real estate uh, success story. This was a corporate success story. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a panel discussion up on the ninth floor in our, our city view space. And uh, we had the opportunity uh, not only to have uh, part of the IA team there, but also one of our VPs from HR, uh, VP from IT, and then our corporate real estate group. And uh, as a part of that discussion, one of the things that was so quickly apparent was the collaboration that was required between all of those groups. Uh, and not just those groups, but across the corporate structure, the collaboration that was required to make this project a, project a success. And it's really more about an address change. It's about uh, a change in the, the corporate culture from a McDonald's standpoint. So, so we'll get into that a little bit more uh, with uh, some of the presentation. We'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, let me just start by welcoming you, and, uh, and we're so happy to have you here. Uh, Cornet for me is, uh, you know, it's, it's been a great organization, and uh, there are probably those in the room that I had reached out to in advance of this project to understand what are you doing, what's uh, what's uh, best practice, uh, what direction, uh, new wise, whether it's technology, uh, workplace strategy, whatever the case may be. We did a massive number of tours and benchmarking as a part of the, the project, and so. You know, Cornet uh, and the connections uh, there were uh, an amazing part of that process. So, uh, so we always like to thank uh, the organization and, and those uh, individually who have helped with uh, with some of that benchmarking. So, so let me jump into it here. Um, get my slide. So, just to, to set a little bit of uh, of an overview and a context, we'll talk a little bit about McDonald's uh, from a corporation standpoint in our evolution over the last number of years uh, that has ultimately led to uh, the headquarters relocation and, uh, and what you see as a part of this, uh, this project. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about context, uh, but ultimately it's about so the transformation that we've gone through. And I'm gonna wander around a little bit here, so I'm not uh, just talking to, to one side of the room, but uh, the transformation that we've gone through as, a, as an organization, and uh, one of the key questions as we jumped into this project, was looking at how can the workplace, the work environment, how can the workplace strategy, how can that positively influence the cultural change that we're trying to drive at McDonald's? And so uh, that was a guiding principle for us. That was 
an important part of uh, the project as we entered into some of the even the earliest conversations with uh, with the IA team. Uh, so if you keep that in mind as we go through here and we'll talk to the multiple components of the project that really ultimately all drive toward uh, that cultural shift. So just to give you a little bit of context uh, from a McDonald's standpoint. So we've continued to evolve as a, an organization, uh, both culturally uh, in the way that we're doing business and uh, just wanted to pull uh, one example of that out and talk to it a, a bit. So how many have heard of our McDelivery program? Anybody use McDelivery? I can see a few hands that are, are still raised there. So, so McDelivery is an example of how we've continued to evolve uh, as an organization. And so when we think about the different ways that our customers are looking to engage with us, uh, so much of that is driven from a technology standpoint. And so McDelivery, over the course of the last couple of years since we've rolled that out, uh, has been a huge success for us. And uh, just to share uh, a little bit as far as some, uh, some of the gee whiz facts. So in the first year of McDelivery, so for those that aren't familiar with, we partner with Uber Eats, 75%, uh, and it's interesting statistic, 75% of the U.S. population is within a three-mile radius of one of our 14,000 U.S. restaurants. So when you think about uh, the potential that that unlocks from a business standpoint, uh, it's, it's amazing. And so we weren't nearly, we weren't nearly taking advantage of, of that, uh, that scope and that scale. And so with our partnership with Uber Eats, we were able to uh, extend our offering to customers who were looking to engage with us in a slightly different way and, and leveraging technology to be able to do that. And so you see some of these uh, statistics from the first year of the program. 75 million McNuggets were delivered uh, to people's individual addresses, homes, businesses, wherever the case may be. The uh, individual, uh, one individual ordered 349 times the uh, make delivery. So uh, he may be on his way to a Golden Arch card, I'm not, not sure. And then uh, 800 McNuggets in one order. So if you can imagine what that order looks like when it's, when it's being delivered. Not sure if that was a Super Bowl party. Hopefully it wasn't the one individual who was ordering multiple <laughs> And then uh, if we, we stacked up the, uh, the Big Macs, you know, there's a, 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 um, a statistic there, but uh, 4.5 million Big Macs delivered in the first year of uh, the McDelivery program. So as you can see, this has been a, a huge uh, success for us from a business standpoint, and all of which has been driven by uh, the technology that's on the back end of that. So mobile order, mobile pay, uh, kiosks in the dining rooms, um, digital menu boards, all of this technology is really driving our business as we go forward. And so what has that meant to us from an from a organization and from a cultural standpoint? Well, you see that you know, we've, we've really had to move from an operations-driven company to a technology and an innovation focus. From being slow to change based on our size and our scale to this notion of speed to market. And moving away from organizational silos and to more cross-functional collaboration. I remember uh, the conversations that we had and were involved from a McDelivery standpoint when we put the team together that was, was launching the program uh, they came to our uh, vice president of our, our group and said, we need a space. We've got 18, 20 people. How quickly can you provide that for us? The response was, we can move them in on Monday. Uh, so being able to, to move quickly and uh, respond to the changing business needs. So, so all of this has, has really led to uh, the change in culture uh, that ultimately is reflected in what we've been able to accomplish from a, a project here. Demand for talent. So as we move toward more of a technology and innovation focus, the skill sets that we have traditionally uh, grown up through the organization have changed. And so those skill sets uh, were increasingly having to go out to the market to be able to, to find those. So demand for talent uh, has been a huge driver. Uh, we, we talked about faster innovation. Uh, talent, innovation, all of those as a part of our changing cultural uh, climate within McDonald's. 
So bring that back to the facility side. And so if anybody has uh, been to our old corporate headquarters in Oak Brook, beautiful campus setting, um, you know, acres uh, of uh, property and lakes and uh, right on the, uh, the Butler Golf Course in Oak Brook. Uh, so beautiful setting. Um, as we looked at uh, the changing uh, corporate culture, one of the things that we found is uh, that we were a bit isolated and removed. And so when we think about the evolution from that type of an environment to the West Loop in Chicago, and uh, you know, we think about the drivers behind the selection of, of this particular location. So one goes back to the notion of talent and, and talent acquisition. And so being able to position ourselves in a location that significantly increases our pool of talent to be able to draw from. And especially when we look at the technology focus uh, that we've evolved to as an organization and the changing skill sets around that. The talent was a, was a big driver. Um, in addition to talent, uh, getting closer to our customers. So again, in Oak Brook, beautiful campus, but we were also a bit removed from the customer experience. And so it was important to us as we looked at this project to be able to create an environment where on the ground level of the headquarters, we have a public facing restaurant. So any of our corporate employees on a day-to-day -day basis can go down and see how we're interacting with the customers and, and, and what that experience looks like. So it's getting closer to the customers was a, was a big part of the relocation. And then finally, and, and very specific to Chicago and to the West Loop, when we look at what's going on on Randolph and the Fulton Market District, from a restaurant standpoint, from the restaurant trends, uh, the changing taste of, uh, of the population and ultimately our customers as well, we wanted to make sure that we were positioning ourselves closer to those trends that were going on uh, in the industry. Uh, the foodie environment, the, uh, the changing uh, taste and development of, uh, of different customer expectations. So when we looked at all, all three of those factors, uh, we really found that uh, the West Loop in this location was, a, was an ideal uh, location from a new headquarters standpoint for us. So all of this leading to the, the cultural shift uh, that we talked about and really the direction uh, from a McDonald's standpoint. And, and so as we come back to the physical environment, one of the things that we wanted to spend some time on is touching on each of these three different areas that really contributed to uh, that initial question that we talked about is how can the physical environment uh, really positively infect the cultural, uh, cultural shift. And so we're gonna touch on the workplace strategy on the design of the office space, and then finally on the smart building and the technology components that we have been able to build in. So with that, I wanna introduce uh, Tish Cruz and uh, turn the clicker over. The workplace strategy started well before they decided to make the move. We've been working with McDonald's for years and knowing that the investment was really focused on the restaurants and not on the workplace, the team decided to experiment when they could, when there were renovations that were able to happen so that when a wholesale change was able to happen, we'd have a head start. So this is their former space. For many of you, you've seen spaces like this. Typical 1980s, right? High panels, lots of that lovely golden oak. Um, and actually, at the time when it was built, it was ahead of its time. It was wonderful. <coughs> there were no private offices. So at that time in the 80s, it, it, it was time. And, and now today, as we look to what we wanted to do, we wanted to be ahead of time. So what we did was, first we experimented with Scott and his team, the Workplace Solutions team. And we created a setting that had lots of different kinds of work settings. Nobody had an assigned seat. What was really, I think, the most important part of this was they were in a veritable fishbowl. If you work in that building, you walk by the workplace solutions team space today. So they got a lot of exposure from it and a lot of curiosity. I think especially around the unassigned seats, people were a little, uh, what's that about? Uh, but uh, it was it was a hint of, of potentially what's the best. <laughs> then another thing that was uh, important 
back then was people were worried about conference rooms. Sometimes they'd want to set up a meeting and they couldn't find the right room or it wasn't the right size or wasn't available. And, you know, we hear this a lot with a lot of clients. So we thought with this initiative, we're really going to make sure we have the right number of meeting spaces and uh, the right mix and that kind of thing. Well, it turns out when this group first moved in, there were clusters of meeting spaces that were together. And you'd walk by and the room schedulers always be red, but there'd be no balloon. Uh, again, familiar story maybe to many of you. So what we realized was it wasn't just about creating the right number of spaces, but it was about letting them know, hey, you don't need to hoard this room because there's plenty here now. So recognizing that's part of the, part of the process. Another thing that was important is for probably two or three years, I think at least three years in a row, we met with the summer interns. And uh, there were probably, what, 30 or 40 folks in each session or so. Because um, McDonald's is really committed to having students learn. So what we did is we had a lunchtime session. They're free food. They'll, they'll come. And we did a couple of activities with them. And what we wanted to learn was what did they care about with the work environment, right? What was important to them? Over the three-year period, these were the things that were that really rolled up to the top, these four items. And interestingly, you know, Scott showed the picture of, of their campus out in Oak Brook. You know, we were like in a park-like setting, and there were terraces outside a lot of the spaces, but nobody used those terraces. And so the students didn't feel like they had permission to use them either. So you'll see, well, probably not today because it's cold out, but people really like the terrace here, and, and they have permission to use them. So that left us with, at the, at the point when Scott and, and, and the team told us that they were actually going to move, which was huge. That was, that was big. They weren't going to renovate. They were actually going to move. Um, we had to think about what's the process of then creating the workplace strategy. We already had a head start with the experimenting we had done, but we had a lot of work in front of us. The challenge was it was all under wraps. There was a small team that knew about the move. Uh, so we couldn't do our, our usual process, right, of interviewing folks, doing surveys, um, focus groups, those kinds of things. That wasn't our avenue. We couldn't go down that path. So what we decided to do was create a kind of an iterative process where Scott and Joe and Sherry and others were, were really our lens into the McDonald's Corporation. And so we worked in an iterative way together to de develop solutions. And I think one thing that's important that we want to share before we go through that process is there were no givens. We had a clean slate. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. Usually at this scale of a project, there's certain things we must do this. This is what's already decided. But uh, nothing, nothing like that here. And I think personally for my career, that, that doesn't happen very often. So um, it's almost like being back in school again. The good part of being back in school again. Uh, so, so that was that was pretty terrific that we had that 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 direction. So the first thing we did is we looked at everything Steve Easterbrook said, then the new CEO, about his vision for the company. What did he say publicly? What was he What was he talking about in terms of how he wanted to transform the company? And then we also looked internally. What were the messages sending to to folks? So that was on one hand what we did, and on the other hand, since we kind of had, you know, free reign, we said, what constitutes an ideal workplace strategy? What does that make? You see that pair there, uh, working there in, the, in one of our rooms with all those post-it notes. We used a lot of post-it for this. So then from that, we came up with four principles, if you will, based on what Steve was saying we want to do and, and this idea of an ideal strategy. The first one was having a nimble structure. So the organization at that time was very layered. So how do you have a nimble structure where decision-making can happen very fluidly and the decision-making with the people can go further down? The decisions aren't just happening at the top. And then the culture, creating a really customer-centric culture, one that it was really visible to the people that work at McDonald's who their customers are. And then lastly, really reflecting that evolving brand. I mean, clearly McDonald's is one of the most well-known brands in the world. How does that brand continue to evolve uh, with, with, the, with the workforce? So we took that, and then we said, okay, how do all those things apply to today? 
what are the behaviors today that the workforce has? What are, how do they work? What are their habits? And um, this, was, this was a list we came up with when we, at, at this meeting, or just work session, and you can see there, you know, there was a lot of honesty here, right? We said, there, there's some challenges here in terms of how we can transform the organization. And then we said, you know, you know, we're workplace strategists. There's a piece of this that we can support. What's that piece? What can we do from a strategy perspective, from a design perspective, that can help support the changes they want to make? So we took all those challenges and we got met again, had these big whiteboards. We put those challenges at the top. On the left, we put why that was a challenge. And on the right, we started to ideate around what could the workplace do to make that change. It seems like there's a lot of iteration, a lot of talk, but really we needed to do this to kind of get to where we wanted to get to in terms of understanding the approach. And so from there, we came up with these, with these eight ways in which we felt the workplace could make a difference. Places where we thought, gosh, if we do this, that can help foster the things that Steve and the leadership want to do for the change. So because eight things is a lot for people to remember, we synthesized that into, into three. And that became, those three uh, ideas became our, our, really our guiding principles. The first one is connect the work and the people. So the idea that the restaurants and, what we, and, the, and the service and what they do for the customer is really alive for the folks that work at, at So creating an environment where there was some kind of central hub Places where people could see each other and get to know each other was really important. So that was one, one of the main ideas. The next one was foster and showcase innovation. So there was this, in the, one of the ideas in the past where people felt like, you know, it had to be perfect before I shared that idea, right? I had to have it all figured out. So they wanted to encourage risk taking. They wanted to encourage ideating. So creating spaces where ideas could be shared, where people could show what they were working on and, and have it be in progress so people could learn and build on that from each other. And then the last one is sustain a flexible and evolving workplace. So the idea around that is we wanted an environment that could change and shift over time. We didn't want to be 10 years from now, 15 years from now saying, gosh, I wish we hadn't done it this way because now we can't move it, we can't change it. So creating a system that you can move things around in a place where people had choice and opportunity to move and work where they wanted to work. So those were the three principles. And now as Kara starts to talk, you'll see how those ideas on the strategy actually transformed into the design. So the transition from workplace strategy to design wasn't a handoff, which was wonderful. We were integrated, as you saw in that photo, uh, from the very beginning of the workplace strategy. And this allowed us to come up with a really clear workplace strategy that then guided the design and allowed the design to be delivered in a clear way. So outside of our internal strategy and design teams, there was a group of core teams you're seeing on this slide who were critical partnerships that we integrated with early on in the project. A few of you I see in this room today, which is awesome. Um, this partnership needed to happen at the beginning of the project. The sheer scale of this project and the aggressive timeline would not have allowed for the traditional approach of design and then handing off to the engineers and then to construction. We had to be working all together at the beginning. Our contractor was pricing and doing constructability studies for us at the very beginning of design. Our acoustical consultants helped us as we developed wall coverings to test for acoustic transparency. Our AV team was mocking up room types from the very beginning, and our engineers were on board helping us build our BIM 3D model, the whole process. Um, so together, our partnerships are really what made this project a success. Behind the scenes at McDonald's was an amazing group of people who really understood the power of this project and that it needed to transform the culture. So our design documents and the workplace strategy were circulated to McDonald's teams to see how they could start to evolve their processes to make this project a success. Um, starting with IT, a big one for them was we're a global company. We need to be able to work anywhere in the world with anyone in the world. 
And the first phase with this was switching to laptops for everybody to allow for mobile work. The next part, which was big, was putting video conferencing in every meeting room so that phone calls could be face-to-face -face with people around the world. You could really build connections with people. You weren't on a call not knowing who you were talking to. And this was all only possible because it was supported by the executive and finance teams. Um, corporate real estate, who we worked with the entire project, was very involved and did a wonderful job bridging that transition between what was going on culturally at McDonald's and letting us in on what was going on and needed to happen in the headquarters. HR had to look at how are we onboarding and how does that change? In order to provide choice, you get to pick your laptop and your phone on day one, which is pretty cool. Your first day will always be a Thursday, and there'll be an open bar upstairs on the ninth floor from 3 p.m. on to celebrate you. You're the new employee, and you're going to get to know other employees, and you're in the top of the building being celebrated on your first day. Um, the communications team was wonderful. They were communicating the entire process. We worked very closely with them to keep everybody up to speed on what was happening, what was changing. So when the move came, it wasn't a huge shock for everyone. So our concept statement, this looks very simple, but it took us a long time to get here. Delivering simple moments that make you smile. We had to boil down the strategy into a really clear concept so that the design could be fluid and seamless. And delivering simple moments that make you smile has two parts to it. There's the practical side, which we like to say is like when you get to the airport, you find a seat by the window and an outlet. That is a moment that makes you smile when you're traveling. <laughs> and when you tour through the space today, you'll see you can always find outlets. The acoustics work. They give you the privacy that you need. And the AV is integrated in a seamless manner. We spent a lot of time making sure that the design was purposeful and highly functional. The other side to delivering simple moments that make you smile is a lot of what you're seeing on this screen. It was capturing McDonald's authentic brand and their welcoming spirit. And in order to do this, we like to think of it's that moment when you're a kid and you found that Happy Meal toy that you didn't know what it was going to be in your Happy Meal box. How can we start to infuse little moments that make you smile and surprise you in the space? And this came out in the details, a stitch on a chair, the informal approach to furnishings, the French fry spread that you'll see as you walk through the open office on the workstation. Little moments that you might not notice right away, but the more you experience the space, the more they come to life. Our palette is timeless, as you can see. The base palette for the architecture is neutral and textural and can withstand time. Durable, which was a really big driver with all the different user groups that are in this space. And then we introduced color in the fabrics and the graphics. It's not overthought with crazy patterns. It feels on brand, and it's warm, and it's inviting. We worked with our lighting consultant to actually tune the temperature of the space to a slightly warmer hue than we would traditionally do to embrace this warm and cozy atmosphere. So thinking back to the strategy and how do we cross-pollinate the departments and help people start to build connections now that we're looking at a vertical stack between nine floors, we started looking at, let's create energy pockets that rather than like in some buildings where you have all of your amenity on an amenity floor, we disperse them throughout the stack so that you're encouraged to use the entire building. There's destinations like the bar I mentioned earlier on nine, the work cafe on the sixth floor, Hamburger University is on the second floor. It really creates an energetic atmosphere that employees who might not have met will now probably have to cross-pollinate in these different zones and make connections. As Tish mentioned, we were able to test out a lot of the different meeting space types in the old headquarters space. And what we learned is that we actually didn't need a ton of different types, and we were able to narrow it down to a pretty simple list of room types for the headquarters. The idea was creating an inclusive space for all people. This meant there are no standing room only rooms. There's no loungy conference rooms that are really low to the ground. Everything is ADA compliant. 
and the technology is consistent so that you know how to use the room. You can find writable surfaces, there's markers where you need them, the acoustics give you your privacy. The rooms work and they really foster the communication, which is the ultimate goal of the meeting spaces. Our internal EGD team created these amazing characters that you're seeing, I actually hand drew them on the screen. And this was part of looking at, there's a lot of visitors coming to this space. How can we curate the user experience for all these different visitors who are gonna come and experience the headquarters? So we have characters from different user groups, whether you're a Hamburger University student, whether you're a visitor, and we wanted to make sure that we were telling the story of McDonald's to all these different visitors. So this is where we really mapped out where should graphic locations go? Where should the artwork go? How do we start to incorporate wayfinding so that we know how people can get around from the elevator lobbies? And this was a really key piece that as we tour through today, you'll probably experience a lot of these exact same tasks because the philosophy around the user experience has stayed the same since the beginning. We had to look at the work modes in the open office a little differently. Uh, McDonald's is an activity-based workplace. And the first piece of that was training the employees on how to use the space. As Tish mentioned, there was a lot of outdoor space at the old headquarters that wasn't being utilized. So we really needed to empower the employees to know, you can work on the terrace, you can work in the sixth floor cafe. You don't have to be at your desk and not being at your desk doesn't mean that you're not working. So looking at how we work on a daily basis and different departments work, there's a mix of tasks you have. You want some heads down time, you want time to meet with other people, maybe a small group, maybe a big group. And looking at how these individual and collective work modes start to work is what created the ultimate work settings that we developed. Once we were able to meet with the users, they actually had the choice of selecting how many high tables versus booths, versus workstations they wanted in their neighborhoods. And as you can see on the left, there's a huge mix of the neighborhoods. They don't all look the same, which for some designers might be a nightmare, but the architect ar architecture here supports this. It allows for the variety, it allows for the flexibility, for the future proofing, for this to change over time, and it still has a cohesive feel to it. Finally, the vertical communication. We talked a little bit about the energy nodes being dispersed throughout the building. And that was great for spreading out the amenity, but we wanted to think through how can we start to visually connect people across the floors and make it be in the heart of all of the typical floors. And that's where this atrium came into play. We worked with the core and shell architects to open up the atrium and then we developed a series of stair studies on how should the stair start to move through this atrium space. This crisscrossing pressure-like stair you're seeing on the screen came to the top of the list because it creates unique experiences for people as they move through the staircase. They'll see different floors from different angles and see people walking up and down from different floors as well. A back and forth stair wouldn't have created the same dynamic. And this really becomes the heart of the typical floors. This is where we can have a lot of cross-pollination and collaboration happening between the floors. There's eating areas on either side and meeting areas. So this really becomes that heart for connecting the people and the work in the center of the workspace. So a few snapshots of this space, which if you're gonna tour with us, you'll get to see you start to see that really soft and warm, inviting feel. There's Fry Kids-inspired light fixtures and a wall covering that's inspired by the kitchen equipment. The rare occurrence of the McDonald's logo. It says McDonald's, the space has it all over it without screaming it in your face, which was a really important piece of design. We have some nods to Global Farming, the lettuce wall down in the main lobby, a mustard pantry. There's a ketchup pantry on the other side of the floor. Again, it doesn't say it, but subtle gestures that start to infuse the space. And then the open office that we were talking about. You can see how those different work modes, high tables, collaboration areas start to mix together so you can bounce between work modes as you move through the day and the atrium space. 
And with that, I'll turn it back over to Scott for Smart Building. So, so we touched on the workplace strategy and the design. And then finally, the third element that was a, a major focus of ours was how do we integrate technology into the space and how do we do that in a way that enhances the user experience uh, and really helps us to drive toward, uh, again, the, the cultural change of the, as an organization uh, to really change the mindset of uh, the company and our, all of our employees around how do we think about technology and how do we continue to integrate that into everything that we're doing. And you know, one of the things that we, we like to talk about as, as part of the project is this goal and this notion that you shouldn't have to check your technology at the door when you come into your office environment. And so all of the conveniences, all of the, the, the comfort types of apps and, and technologies that you have in your personal life, those should extend to the work environment as well. And, and so that was a lot of our focus around smart building. So as we started to look at smart building, one of the first, um, first goals for us was to to identify what do we want to accomplish and what, what is a smart building, asking that very basic question. Uh, what should a smart building look like? How should it uh, respond to uh, the users? Uh, how should it respond to employees versus uh, visitors and guests? And so there was a lot of effort that we put into uh, kind of looking at a, a master plan and, and what that means as far as smart building development. Uh, from, a, from a milestone standpoint, uh, we went from uh, the, the master planning very quickly into construction documentation, you know, into um, the, the build environment, uh, making changes along the way. Um, you know, I think about uh, working with our engineering team, and as we as we thought about uh, ultimately individual temperature control uh, from a technology standpoint, and how does that uh, experience uh, play out in the in the environment? And so it was working with the engineering teams to really take a look at the standard HVAC zone in an open office plan, and, and could we reduce that and shrink that down to where individual temperature control has even more of an impact uh, than if we're looking at broader zones. So, so simple things like that uh, that weren't so simple when we started taking those back to the design community and to our landlord and talking about you know, what that does as far as impact to the overall project. And so credit to all of those teams. Uh, they. They listened, uh, they worked with us, and uh, I think ultimately uh, we've ended up with uh, uh, a very strong model there. Um, the, uh, the implementation of the, the network uh, was a, a huge opportunity for us and, and one working with the landlords. So you see some timelines there around the facilities network and how we were able to bridge uh, base uh, building systems with tenant systems and the network implications that go along with that, and then ultimately leading to, uh, to uh, occupancy. So I mentioned the, the, the master planning effort around smart buildings. And um, you know, one of the things that was key for us was to identify what, what are our priorities as we think about uh, smart building technology and technology in general uh, as our employees would experience that. Uh, we put together this list of, of, uh, of priorities and kind of guiding principles, principles around the specifics of smart building. And so we thought about end user experience. Uh, we thought about uh, the real estate aspect uh, around utilization and the notion of making our real estate more efficient uh, and, and better utilization. Uh, the, the technology component, the experience, uh, being able to not only build that in for day one, uh, but also being able to maintain that going forward, ensuring that we had systems in place to be able to do that. And then ultimately, uh, cost savings, energy efficiency, you know, all of those historical notions of smart building uh, from a you know, an ROI standpoint, uh, that was part of the consideration as well. And, and uh, how do we take all of the experience side and build that into uh, the same model that will help to drive energy efficiency and cost and so forth. So we looked at, uh, as you mentioned, a number of different uh, workplace uh, technologies, uh, how we integrate all of those. Uh, indoor positioning systems, uh, location-based services, that was a huge uh, platform decision for us and how we accomplish that uh, and the ability to track a uh, device uh, anonymized so we're not tracking the individual but we're tracking the device gives us the ability to leverage that in so many different ways around the technology stack uh, so whether that's wayfinding helping people find the conference room that they're looking for 
or sending prompts, notifications as you walk into a conference room uh, that this conference room is available, would you like to book it? Uh, to uh, temperature controls, we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, knowing where you're at in the building, uh, so making it easy for you to respond from a temperature control standpoint and integrate with, with the systems. So indoor positioning was just one of those pieces of the technology stack that was a critical platform for us as we, as we work through smart building. Lots of uh, collaboration, uh, active solutioning. Uh, the design teams that we worked with uh, continually came back to the table with us. And uh, as we talked about, how does this all integrate? How do we build this into the systems, uh, into our systems, into the base building systems, the tenant systems? Uh, so uh, a lot of activity and time spent there. And then ultimately, what is the data that we're able to draw out of our smart building systems and looking at business intelligence and BI tools that we can put in place uh, that will take advantage of all of this data that we're creating from smart buildings, how we're booking conference rooms, how we're utilizing them, uh, how we're using space in general, uh, and, uh, and build that into uh, um, a, a system that would allow us to make informed decisions as we go forward around strategy. So as we talk about smart building, uh, the, the workplace strategy, all of that uh, equals uh, the smart experience that we were trying to drive uh, as part of the headquarters project. And, and this slide uh, it really just helps to, uh, uh, to expand on this notion of experience. So whether it's uh, being able to book a conference room, walk into a conference room and, and check in remotely via the, the mobile app, uh, be able to go to uh, an application and see you know, where on the floor are there spaces available, um, being able to control temperature. All of this is kind of wrapped into uh, the end user experience that was part of our goal to achieve. And then ultimately, you know, looking for the convenience of finding one place to be able to center all of these different applications around. So as an employee, I don't have to go searching for the different ways for me to be able to interact with the workplace. And so, you know, leading itself to um, the development of our workplace app uh, that's simple, it's convenient. All of the functions that are available on the app are available in other formats, whether it's via web browser or your laptop or physically in the space. Uh, but it's a level of sim simple and convenient uh, approach to, uh, to being able to offer those. Uh, you know, some of the functions that are available on there, find a place, so the navigation piece, turn-by-turn uh, -turn navigation, blue dot, uh, once you uh, are in the building uh, and you have uh, Bluetooth enabled on your device, it will find you and uh, help you to navigate around the building. Transportation information uh, for our folks who, you know, in many cases have not been city dwellers, uh, so we're moving from the suburbs and uh, and getting familiar with train schedules and CTA versus MTA and, and Divi bike programs and you know all of these things. Uh, so you know, it was important for us to be able to make that as easy as possible for our employees from a, from a user experience. And then uh, you know, things like news and events, feedback, um, you know, all of those things that we can build in, again, to try and draw out what, what's working and what's not working from a, an employee experience. And then I think we've got, you know, just some slides of the, the individual functions. Uh, we can cycle through these pretty quick. The room, the, the wayfinding navigation piece. Uh, so you'll see different points of interest, whether those are conference rooms or, or beverage centers or safety elements like emergency phones. Uh, all of that is available uh, at, at your fingertips as an employee. The temperature control piece. This was one that we get a lot of questions about, you know, how to uh, ensure that people aren't fighting over, uh, over the temperatures. And so, um, you know, we've built in systems to where uh, there's a 10 minute lockout. So if you're in a conference room and you request either warmer or cooler, uh, it locks that system out, that individual is locked out as well as that, uh, that zone. Uh, so it, it either warms or cools the space. And then after 10 minutes, you can make a, another selection. This has been probably one of the most popular functions in the, the mobile app, as you can, as you can imagine. We talked about transportation. Uh, so we're you know, really looking at uh, the, the keys to success from the smart building standpoint. And you know, as, as we start to get into some of the lessons learned, uh, 
engage early in the process. You know, I would say that was a lesson learned for us is we, we could have engaged much earlier in the process uh, from a design standpoint uh, to build in the systems that uh, really needed from a technology standpoint. Have a strategy, ensure that uh, that filter that you're applying uh, is based on that strategy. There are any number of directions, uh, as, as we all know, and continue to see developers that are out there and offerings around smart building technologies. Uh, so having, uh, having a filter to be able to run those through to make sure it's consistent with your strategy. And then uh, you know, working uh, not only on the design process early on, but uh, bridging the gaps between um, landlord and tenant uh, systems, uh, uh, data security, you know, all of those types of issues that obviously go into uh, a smart building approach. So move into talking a little bit about um, you know, what we've learned in the almost 10 months uh, that we've been in the building here, uh, some of the lessons learned in the, in the process. And so as we, uh, as we launch into these, you know, we've, we've seen uh, increased collaboration. Uh, we've experienced faster decision-making, uh, the alignment of technologies. Uh, AV is a great example as, uh, as we've, uh, you know, enterprise-wide moved to a, a WebEx solution with Cisco and uh, the ability to do uh, one-touch integration with our EMS uh, room booking systems and our WebEx uh, to be able to walk into a meeting environment and it not take 10 or 15 minutes to get the video conference set up and everybody that's remote online. Uh, so a one-touch, very simple integration uh, that you know touches on on all of these topics, you know, from increased collaboration to faster decisions to the alignment of technology. We went through the process and working with the IA team uh, about four months after we had moved in to do a post-occupancy survey. So, you know, it was important to understand, you know, what as a corporate real estate group, we felt the success was even more importantly to understand how is that being experienced from an employee standpoint. And so you see some of the numbers here uh, that we received back in, in the survey, you know, just to highlight a couple of those, you know, we talked about collaboration, you know, and a, and a very positive response around uh, the ability to collaborate and, you know, thinking in terms of, coming from four or five different rooftops in Oak Brook and the need to go from building to building to, to host meetings and, and uh, moving into one location and uh, with all of the technology that enables that collaboration, the, the, the neighborhoods that enable that as well, uh, you see an 83% response rate positively there to uh, the ability to collaborate effectively. And then the other one that we would highlight is the sense of pride uh, that our employees feel in the new headquarters. and so. 86% uh, from a from a proud to show my the uh, the HQ my work environment to guests. Uh, we have uh, employees that will bring family members in to the office on the weekends just to give them a tour uh, because they're, they're proud of the space and want to want to show that off. So, so those those couple of areas uh, we felt extremely positive about uh, from a from a uh, post occupancy standpoint. We talk about talent acquisition as a major goal. We've seen a 22% increase in, uh, in talent activity. So uh, for job openings that we had posted before, we're seeing 22% more applicants uh, and uh, drawing from that broader pool of talent uh, that we talked about. Uh, so from, a, from an HR talent acquisition standpoint, you know, huge increases there in what we're seeing in the way of, uh, of talent that we're able to pull into the company. And then on the on the real estate side, uh, we've moved uh, into 50% less space. So we've cut in half uh, the amount of, uh, of real estate that we're working with uh, on the headquarters portfolio side. Uh, so obviously that equates into you know, cost savings, uh, advantages. We're not, uh, we're not sitting with real estate that's uh, being underutilized as, as much as we were in Oak Brook. The, uh, the workplace strategy, some of the, the lessons learned there, um, you know, unassigned workspace for us was a, a pretty significant leap. And uh, Tish uh, talked about this a little bit, but uh, one of the things that we found is the, um, you know, the fact that people are creatures of habit. Uh, they generally gravitate to the same location uh, on a daily basis, and, and that's okay uh, because we're not tying those folks down to that particular location with a phone or a, a computer uh, so they have the ability to move around as needed. We, we follow a clean desk policy uh, at the end of the day. 
So in those instances when they are on vacation, they are traveling, uh, that creates another, uh, another seat uh, for, uh, for others to use. And so with some of the initial data that we've seen, uh, we're, we're occupying, utilizing space at about just over 70% of our headcount on, uh, on a daily average. We plan to 80%, uh, so we're still under that number. Uh, so you know, the data that we're seeing back on, on that is starting to proof out the, the workplace strategy and it's, uh, it's working well for us. Uh, smart building considerations, you know, we, we touched on this a little bit, um, but uh, starting early in the process in, um, you know, the, the, the more that you anticipate the, the timeline that you may need as far as implementation of technologies, you can probably ensure that you need more time than, uh, than you, you have uh, either in the timeline or have allocated. And so when you think in terms of working with landlords, working with the design team, not only on the design of the space, but integration of that technology, uh, for us, that was a lesson learned as we, we could have started that many months in advance and, and probably still would have been uh, right to the deadline. Uh, network infrastructure, you know, this is a, is a very interesting one, uh, you know, especially for us moving from an owned property to a leased facility. And so the, the conversations that we had on the developer side around network infrastructure. Uh, so going back to the comfy example uh, from a temperature control standpoint, and that's our system integration, uh, system integrator, um, you know, that, that leverages back to base building systems on the HVAC side. And so having those conversations with the landlord and helping them to understand what we're trying to accomplish in getting our hands into what is a base building system and manipulating that uh, at, at the box level as opposed to at the, at the, the major systems equipment level. Uh, but e even so, uh, getting to a level of comfort required a number of different set downs with the landlord to talk about that. So you know, that was the lesson learned for us is the network piece of technology uh, shouldn't be discounted as far as the, the critical path to success there. The, the changing role of CRE. So you know, as we think about data, as we think about technology, as we think about talking IT's language, you know, we have added to our corporate real estate team uh, systems administrator for our smart building technologies. Uh, so you know, they're uh, a unique blend of a little bit of facilities, a little bit of IT, and everything in between. And so you know, those types of skill sets are not something that we necessarily had as a part of our corporate real estate team in the past. Uh, a data analyst. So uh, moving into the building, we've added a data analyst to our corporate real estate team. Uh, so the importance of being able to put data into a format that is usable and take advantage of all of the smart buildings data that we're receiving back. All of this kind of leading to uh, corporate real estate is a changing, uh, in a changing role from being a tactical response. Moves, adds, changes, you know, send me your request and I'll fulfill it to being in more of a consultant type of role. And so when we think about helping our uh, business units to be more effective in their use of their space and in, in their neighborhoods, uh, being able to feed them data back to say, this is how you're using the space and, and this is how you might use it more effectively. Uh, so really, really transitioning into more of a consulting role on, on the corporate real estate side. And then finally on the employee experience side and, and some lessons learned. And so as opposed to me standing up here and talking about what our employees are experiencing, we have a a short little video, it's about a minute or two, uh, that captures, uh, I think, in, in, uh, in essence, uh, what our employee experience looks like. We'd have guest experience leads. They're here to welcome everybody coming into the office, bringing that friendly, kind atmosphere. My favorite part of the new campus is being downtown. Coming downtown, it's gonna be new, it's gonna be exciting. Sustainability is one of the main key components of the entire building. This is Hamburger Youth. I think it's going to be a game changer in how we train people. Beautiful. Like, it's super modern. My expectations were high, but yeah, this was definitely sort of exceeded those. So this staircase connects floors four to eight, but it's meant to be the heartbeat of the building. Welcome to the Work Cafe. This really is meant to be the ultimate collaboration space. I love the outdoor space because you get the nice view of the city and that's not something that we've had in the past. We 
it's everything, right? It, it's the energy, it's the open space, it's a new beginning. My favorite thing about the new office complex is choices. I have so many choices of the way I want to work, the way I want to socialize, the way I want to collaborate. I was really surprised by the number of shared spaces, like the collaborative working environments, the ambiance, it was just really, really well done. We have something for everyone here. Cardio equipment, we can do battle ropes, medicine balls, Zumba, yoga, meditation. Ninth floor is awesome. My favorite part of the new office complex is exactly where we're standing. This outside space here. I mean, this is amazing. We got this great view. You know, you've got this nice collaborative space. It opens itself up to events like this. I've been here 37 years. It's amazing where we where we were, where we're going to go to the future. So, so there's definitely a strategy around moving in in May, June, as opposed to moving in downtown in January, February. So you can see trees are in bloom, we have flowers on the outdoor rooftop terraces. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a great experience. Um, we use the ninth floor, and if you get a chance on the tour, you'll see the ninth floor, uh, the amenity space. We use that as kind of a gathering place on move-in days. So we did a phased move-in over about a month's time. Uh, and uh, the, the end of the day on your move-in day culminated with a happy hour on the ninth floor and uh, a chance for everyone to kind of share their experience and, and what they were uh, learning about the new office and challenges and, and uh, just, uh, you know, really reinforcing that notion of bringing people together, connecting people, uh, which again goes back to, you know, what Tish was talking about as far as, uh, as, far as the overall strategy. So with, with that, I think we, we probably have... Uh, few minutes for questions so maybe we'll open it up to uh, to the crowd how long have you been at mcdonald's so i've been at mcdonald's uh this year will be uh, eight years for me about uh 25 years of uh of uh, headquarters type of experience with different organizations how long did it take to find the site i mean to think about where you So about two weeks, <laughs> it was uh, a pretty rapid, uh, rapid pace um, uh, process. Uh, we we started site selection uh, real estate tours in January, February of 16, and we signed a lease in June. They're fully, fully negotiated, executed uh, June. Uh, at that point, uh, Sterling Bay uh, started the process of taking Harpo Studios down. Say the demo that was involved there. So from uh, June of 2016 uh, to move in uh, June of 2018, and um, our CEO would have taken it earlier if he could have gotten it. Other questions? Scott. Yeah. How do you look at occupancy per person or the traditional square foot kind of thing in this kind of environment, based on the people assigned to this building? However, it is as you look at them. Yeah, so we're, so we're looking at uh, total headcount, and uh, as I mentioned, we plan to, uh, we planned our neighborhoods on average to about 80% of that headcount. And so knowing that uh, there are differences in business units, uh, that 80% is a, an average, and, and so for instance, the finance departments, you know, they may range up into the 90% range. Our marketing groups, you know, maybe they're in the 65 range, but on average, uh, we're at about 80%. And so... Uh, so you know, we're going through the process right now, actually, of going back to our business units and surveying them. Um, you know, it's been a year and a half since we collected that data for move-in. Uh, so now we're going back to them and, and understanding how is their, how is their headcount numbers, how those shift, uh, what is the growth uh, potential that we're looking at there. Um, we think that through the workplace strategy efforts and the 80% uh, and, and utilizing it about 70%, we have room for incremental growth, and, uh, and we can accommodate that as far as dropping more people into the neighborhood uses. So, uh, so that'll be a continual process that we'll work through. We're, we're setting some of those uh, baseline metrics right now, uh, and we'll be able to measure off of those as we go forward. Did you implement mobile work at the same time, or had that been an existing form? We, we had a remote work program. Um, we wanted to go back and, and reevaluate that and make sure that what we were doing with remote work was consistent with what we were trying to drive in the new headquarters. Uh, clearly, from a leadership standpoint, being here at the headquarters was important. Uh, 
and we wanted to make sure that space that we were creating was one that was going to empower people to be able to do their best work uh, and, and want to be here. Uh, so our, our remote policy is, you know, one, one day a week uh, with officer approval. They can expand beyond that to generally no more, no more than a couple of days a week. Hey, Scott. Yeah, Rich. Um, how much force loss did you see as a result of moving from Oak Brook to downtown? And then also two-part question, um, what did you do unique in your change management plan to try and combat that? Sure. No, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, as, as other organizations, you know, and we're, we're certainly not the first and not, probably not the last uh, as far as mo to move from suburban to city, um, you know, we, we worked with our HR teams and the talent acquisition teams, and we put a model in place to understand, you know, what the what the expectations may be, um, lots of benchmarking, lots of working with other organizations. And uh, we, we knew that we would lose people upon announcement that we were moving. We knew that we would lose them through the process of building out the office. Uh, we knew that you know some folks would come downtown, would try it for a little while, say, it's not really working for me. Uh, so we knew that we would lose some after move in as well. And so, uh, you know, I, I would say that we were probably I want to say it's probably somewhere in the 10 to 15 percent range, uh, it, but most of that has been in advance of the move. Uh, and the one thing that has, uh, has ultimately has surprised us a bit is that our retention since the move has been pretty strong. Uh, in fact, some of the the planning efforts and the cost uh, estimates that we put in place for replacement of talent after the move. Uh, we haven't had to incur those costs because we haven't seen the, the percentage of, of departures that uh, we had anticipated in the, in the planning. Uh, so, you know, for us, that speaks, you know, you know, wildly to the success of creating that space that people want to be in and want to work in. You know, once they have kind of tackled the whole commute issue and understood, you know, what works best for them. Uh, the second part of your question was, you know, what, what did we do from a change management standpoint? Um, we tried to make it as easy as possible. So, you know, examples um, from a parking standpoint, if people wanted to drive, wanted to, to make that commute in their own vehicle, we over-indexed on the number of parking spaces that we made available day one uh, for people to use coming to the office. Uh, we found that we're not using nearly as many as we secured. So, in fact, in fact we're able to shed some of that parking here probably early this year. Um, as people migrated to trains and, uh, and mass transit, uh, we wanted to make that process as easy for them. So we have a shuttle program and you've probably seen if you've been in the West Loop neighborhood, I'm sure you've run into uh, one of our buses that are uh, pretty well uh, pretty well branded. Um, but the, um, you know, it's, a, it's about a mile, a little less than a mile from the train stations uh, over to the office here. Um, again, on a day like that, it's, you know, it's great, it's a nice walk. In February, when the polar vortex is hitting and in, uh, stride, in uh, uh, having that ability to hop on a shuttle right out of the train station uh, has been a great benefit for our employees. So uh, we did a, we did a uh, commuter subsidy. So the first 12 months for those folks who had been, uh, already been with us uh, as part of the company uh, up to a certain date, uh, we provided a $100 a month subsidy just to help them transition, knowing that it would be added costs that may not have been in their budget. Uh, we wanted to make that process as easy as possible. So those are, those are some of the things that we did. Thank you. Deb. Um, just a quick question about if everything's unassigned and people are coming here, you know, public transportation, maybe bringing things to work out, where does everybody go? <laughs> Where does all the stuff go? <laughs> no, that's a great question. So, you know, on the on the fitness side, we've been uh, you know very fortunate there with the operator that we brought in, working with Sterling Bay, uh, Kinema is our fitness operator. Uh, so we've been able to offer services around uh, permanent lockers, so people can keep their workout gear in a locker there in the fitness center. In fact, the operator will launder. Uh, you know, for a slight additional charge a month, they launder their their workout clothes. Um, so you can come in, get a you know, workout clothes are fresh every every time you work out. Uh, so so that stuff, you know, we've helped to address that. Uh, we also use uh, lockers. So we took an approach that we wanted to create a space that, because of the unassigned work neighborhoods, we wanted to create a space that was individually 
each employees and they, they could put stuff there and they didn't have to continue to move it around. And so, you know, again, we, we over-indexed on lockers to ensure that we had enough space uh, for every employee that wanted a locker. And so there's a, a little bit of file space, a couple of shelves, uh, but it's individually assigned to that employee so they can land uh, some individual items there as well. How are we doing on time? We've got time for one more, maybe? Last one. Yes, there's one more. Yep. It's a great, great space presentation. Um, I'm curious, what's next? <laughs> what's next? <laughs> well, after uh, after our team uh, caught our breath a little bit, um, no, it's a great question, and um, you know, and this is a again a credit to the success of this project. Uh, we immediately rolled into looking at our U.S. offices, and so. Uh, same same thought process there, uh, certainly not at the scale, uh, but uh, across the board, we've been able to reduce office space uh, on, on the U.S. side by about the same amount, by about 50%. Uh, we're rolling some of the same technology concepts into those offices uh, around AV and collaboration. Um, you know, it's, th those are 10 to 12,000 square foot offices, so wayfinding is not as much of a challenge there, but, but certainly the collaborative tools, the video conferencing capabilities, you know, so all of that's being pushed out to, uh, to the U.S. offices. And, and we're starting to take a look at globally, uh, especially as it, as it relates to AV and collaborative tools, uh, so expanding what we're doing in the headquarters uh, to some of our global offices as well. Great. Well, thank you. Appreciate it.